Two guys, two beers, two mics, one purpose. To deliver two opinions nobody asked for. Two opinions you never knew you needed until now. This is Scribbler to Scribe. episode of Scribble Scribe. I'm your host David Wishart and I am joined by the one and only Ronnie Smith. Tis I in person. That's right. Season two baby. Season two. Yeah so episode uh what I'll call it what one and a half point three. Yeah I don't know we uh we've had some technical difficulties uh more than once trying to get this thing going so you know a little bit to the back of the drawing board, I think we lost half of the last episode. So, um, um, I guess to start uh, this week for our Monk Brew of the Week, and we'll go through this first and then I'll ask you how your week is, but I don't want anything to interrupt, you know, between us and the beer. Right. Uh, so, we are uh, enjoying uh, Chimay Blue. And uh, the Chimay Blue is one of the beers from the Chimay Brewery, and that's in uh, Scalmrun Abbey, which is in an area called Chimay, Belgium. Um, the brewery's not as old as um, the Rochefort Brewery, which we um, talked about last week. It was founded in 1862, so it's a little older in Canada. Um, and uh, what I learned about the Trappist beers is um, they're not for profit, so it's it's a nonprofit. Uh, but Chimay uh, itself sells over fifty million dollars in beer sales every year, and the beer is used to support the uh, the monastery um, and the charitable causes that the monastery um, in turn supports itself. So. Um, you know, this podcast game is not the right racket. I guess we got to be brewing our own Peace Lutheran Church beer or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. You can have a bonafide pastor on staff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is kind of like a monk almost, but... Yeah, you're you're halfway there. you got like the monk hair, so you can I'm do that. I'm just going to give up the rest of my life and we'll be good to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You need to wear like the, uh, the brown um, sort of friar monk robes and everything all the time. On the top of my head. Yeah. Do that. I've already got it here. You know, oh, yeah, there you go. There, so you do that for you. I don't, I don't know if that's the monk gigs in my future, but uh, yeah, I got kids now, so can't really leave them. Right. You know that, that's true. You know, and a wife too, I guess. <laughs> as well. Can't leave her yeah. either. So we're gonna enjoy this one. It's got a great color on it. Um, I think Ronnie's pour was a little bit uh, more pro than mine. Got a little ahead of myself. I did work in a fine dining restaurant once upon a time. Yeah, I did not. So I was a busboy at one, you know, <laughs> but that doesn't count. They wouldn't let me touch the beer because I was 17. So. Oh. Um, but we'll enjoy this through the episode. Yes, Chimay. Yeah, so Chimay Blue. Thank you very much for bringing these. That's the only reason I agreed to do this was for the free beer. Yeah, well, it's... <laughs> that's the only reason I'm back for season two, right? I was like, oh, there's an idea. Let's do that. That'll make it fun. <laughs> but no, the thing is with these beers, though, is that they're so heavy, right? This this one is uh, 9%, I think. Whew. And uh, you, you can't drink them all the time. 
So this is like a nice occasion to do that. It kind of makes it a little more fun and, and special rather than just, you know, some random evening or whatever. Right, right. Looking forward to rating this beer later on in the uh, Yeah, exactly. In the, episode. I, the interesting thing is there's some distance between this and like we, we're filling every two weeks, right? So, you know, what uh, forming a benchmark of comparison from what we had before and remembering that. But right now, like that first sip, I'm, I'm saying this is pretty close to that, that Rochefort 8 um, taste-wise. Around the same percentages and everything. Too. I've got an early number in my head, but I, yeah. I want to give it some time to percolate, I'm right, sure, yeah. and see where we go. It was nice to have that as a reference point and may even need to revisit that at the end of the season to uh, bring that one back to give it a fair shake against the other beers. It's possible, yeah, because we need an excuse to <laughs> revisit them. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. know, there was nothing to compare it against, so I rated it quite high, 8.5. Yeah. 5. yeah. Um, but that may go up or down depending on how the rest of the season goes. These scales are all relative. Right? Sure. This, you know, I mean, it's, it's all subjective anyway. You can't really, you can't really know. All right, enough about the beer. We'll come back to it a little later. Yeah. Let's talk about our new digs. Our new digs, yeah. We got the uh, the big board back here. Yeah. Invitation to all you artists out there to come on down and try your hand at the chalkboard because I'm not very good, as you can see. I personally think it, the likeness to me is actually you know, pretty spot on. <laughs> um, Mine's easy enough to do. You just slap some curls on the top and it's right. reasonable facsimile. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a little bit of like a clown hair vibe going on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good old Ronnie McDonald yeah. over here. There you go. Um, we do need a logo, though. I'm, I'm More and more, I'm, I'm uh, sitting here going, okay, we probably need to design something. I'd fiddle around with couple ideas last year and nothing really stuck so um we need to work on our quill game quill game there you go yeah so that's a good name for a podcast quill game yeah, it was yeah. a spin-off of uh, squid game right? yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to the drawing board get rid of the scribbler describe name let's go let's go with that quill game squidler describe yeah maybe that'll be the name of this episode quill game i don't know how we'll fold that into anything later but you know we'll see any self-respecting podcast needs a logo. That's what needs to be serious. Yeah, exactly. We got to up our game, right? So this chalkboard image is maybe not going to cut it, though. It has a certain charm to it that maybe we can run with. So again, all you artists out there, if you yeah. want to try your hand at branding our podcast, by all means, yeah, exactly. we'd love to see your submissions. Yes, that's your way to. That's way you can donate to the church, right? Get Absolutely. started. <laughs> so. Um, Listen, uh, let, I guess just to start, I mean, I want to know how is, how's the last two weeks been? What have you been up to? Last two weeks have been quite good. Um, you know, we've opened the church a few weeks ago, so every week that goes by, I get a little more comfortable with things. You know, learning the live stream was a big deal, and thanks to all the people there that were helping get that going. Um, but, you know, week after week, it's starting to feel bit more normal you know I think all of us are really at that point where we're longing for a little bit of normalcy mm -hmm. and you know there's no going back to what we were before of course but uh, little things like going to church taking your kids out for Halloween uh, you know talking to some parents of your kids friends and things mm -hmm. like that just feeling a bit more human uh, the past couple of weeks uh, 
so th that's those are kind of the highlights for me. I would I would say. How much uh, Halloween candy have you put back so far? Well, that's the downside, I guess. Yeah, definitely more than I should have. In fact, I uh, made a point to uh, throw out the rest of it there today. Really? Yeah, oh, we're getting out of hand. I mean, it's what day five? Yeah, of just nonstop candy. Kids, well, kids are bouncing off the walls. Right. So are Hila and I. So, um, if you had to rate what your favorite Halloween candy is, like, well, give me your give me your top three. Um, the ones you regret most throwing in the garbage. Well, we ate all the good ones, so okay. for me, it's the little chocolate bars, I guess. Yeah. Generally, any of them are good. Though I would probably say Wonder Bar is my favorite. Good choice. I was going to say that's my favorite too. So <laughs> hey, there you go. On the right track. Yeah. Well, we were uh, destined for each other here, right? That's it. Now we know. We'll just come next week. We'll have Wonder Bars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any How others? About you? How about you? Uh, well, Wonder Bars at the top. I mean, if I had to pick two more, I was ranking them the other day after Halloween night because I decided that I was going to eat one of everything and then rank them all. Yeah. So that was a mistake. Because um, there's a lot of everything right. there, but I think my top three was the yeah Wonder Bar was at at number one. Um, I uh, I enjoy Snickers too. Um, you don't get too many of those. No, they're not that that often. But the Snickers is a good bar. Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually like the Swedish Fish quite a bit. Those, those are, are good. quite good. Yeah. Yeah, they're a little actually better than well, at least the package that I had that night was better than Swedish Berries, but. Um, I like the like the candies as well. My wife's not a fan. She's still yeah. totally on the chocolate train. But um, yeah, you know, for me, I you know, a little everything. And Bentley, our son, honestly, like not that interested in the candy. Mm. So we get like a, I eat way more of it than he does. Uh, That's good. So I, I, it's like he's super excited the night of. You know, that's a huge deal. But then right. uh, afterwards, like that wanes pretty fast it's like the gathering of the candy is the fun part but the eating sure. of the candy is kind of like he's finished the starburst you know those are gone now and now <laughs> i'm just not that interested anymore yeah i get that yeah so my top ones would definitely all be chocolate bars though you you slap a little kit kat in there mm -hmm. some arrow the snickers is great yeah even coffee crisp i've uh, been appreciating that more yeah in recent years it was kind of the last one that you wouldn't eat you or you'd eat everything else first yeah and then you'd have nothing but coffee crisps left right but i found myself kind of going for those a little more up front yeah this year it's because you're an old man now i guess well i drink coffee now yeah so. exactly when you're a kid you're like what the heck is this crap <laughs> yeah um, yeah uh, you know when i was eating it all i was like what was the what was the very bottom one that I enjoyed the least. Uh, escaping me now. Ah, Smarties and stuff like that. I kind of like, eh. It just doesn't really do that much for me. Yeah, I'll go with those over any a lot of the candies. As far as the candy goes, the Swedish fish are good. The berries yeah. are good. But even then, I'm not too gung-ho about candy per se. All right. So I would still rate it Smarties above most candies. All right. Agree to disagree there. Yep, another right. subjective uh, venture here. Right. Exactly. All right, well, well, but what about you? How was your last two weeks? 
Um, yeah. I, other than uh, Halloween, we um, at work we finished our financial year, October thirty first. It was harrowing for that last little bit of trying to get everything done, but sure. um, got some big project milestones um, to the finish line. So that was uh, a big deal. Satisfying, perhaps? Uh, yeah. You know, with work, often things never feel done. So when you get like a big project like that finally finished, it's pretty satisfying, though I, I will admit that you know, here we are in the first week of November, we're already just right back at it. Like there's, there was not much of a lull. Right. But I am taking um, a few days off next week. Nice. Going to go uh, Niagara Falls and just oh. hang out there for a couple nights, got a hotel, just to get away. Um, I'm definitely feeling my need for some vacation, that's for sure. I, this time of year, I find it's sort of, starts to feel long. Cause you're getting a little like far away from your summer vacation. It's a busy time for work. You're not quite there at the Christmas break or anything yet. So as uh, a bit of a, a lull here that can be tough. So I find I we usually take vacation for a few days there in mid-November just to break it up. So um, yeah, I mean, that's been the big thing. I guess the only other thing that's, that's noteworthy, working out a ton. So oh, yeah, I thought I'd noticed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, we uh, decided when we closed up our, our um, cottage you know and all the uh copious amounts of cheese that seem to get eaten every weekend at the cottage that so it would be time to kind of get back at the the workout so i'm doing a program for you know seven days a week basically for three weeks the halloween candy workouts yeah exactly <laughs> that's really undoing some of the progress that i made so uh but maybe on the flip side it's allowed me to eat more than my fair share i don't know Anyway, so that's going on. Nothing too exciting, but... Yeah, well, congrats on the end of the project. And yeah. uh, it'd be great for you guys to get away and have some family time. Yeah, for sure. Well earned, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it'll yeah. be for my boss to judge. <laughs> All right. So now we get into our uh, regularly scheduled programming. So first up is, can you give us a quick... Uh, quick rundown of the reading from this week gospel of john 8 31 to 36 um just real it's a short reading so jesus said to the jews who had believed in him if you continue in my word you're truly my disciples and you will not and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free they answered him we are descendants of abraham and have never been slaves to anyone what do you mean by saying you'll be made free Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So in our church, anyways, we have we celebrate Reformation Sunday on October 31st. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> or the Sunday that's closest to it. So it's all about uh, you know renewing our call to continue to reform the church. We are a church reformed ever being reformed um, in the past that's really meant um, how do we take what we have and tweak it so it's better kind of thing uh, but this year was different because of covid uh, situation is much different it really feels like we need to sort of rebuild so reform as in uh, reforming uh, 
something mm -hmm. that's kind of been you know falling apart a little bit even though you know a lot of people have tried really hard to keep it together online there's just a fracturing that has happened because we haven't been seeing each other we haven't been gathering in the same place and uh, before we can you know innovate reform in an innovative way we need to sort of get back together again and, uh, mm -hmm. and the past few weeks have been have been really nice for that very therapeutic uh, but then there's another thing in the reading here um, that relates to that so the disciples are saying we're descendants of Abraham we've never been slave to anyone um, so they too have sort of forgotten who they were as we've sort of kind of forgotten who we are in all this COVID our identity is shifted so much uh, so much about being a Christian is uh, gathering together. You know, Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered, I'm there also. And it's hard to get that feeling when you're just locked in your basement, you know, on Zoom or writing or, or mm -hmm. working on the videos and these sorts of things. So it felt like we've been kind of forget, starting to forget who we are. And uh, much like the disciples. So I pointed that out. They'd forgotten that they were slaves in Israel. They'd forgotten about the time in the wilderness. They'd forgotten about the oppression of the Romans. And, and I'm sure they knew that in lived experience, but I think you get the point. It's yeah. sort of, what do you mean we've never been slaves or we've never been slaves to anyone? And so what happens to your ancestors happens to you. What happens to you happens to your ancestors and so on. This never ending chain of humanity essentially and uh, so just kind of making points on that mm -hmm. uh, and inviting us to sort of um, you know remember who we are a little bit and let's try to reform this church as we open up as we start to increase capacity and these sorts of things mm -hmm. it's been a good long time and so, uh, you know we did the best that we could with what we had but there's just something about sitting in person looking the other person in the eye that uh, you just don't get from a screen, I guess. So would you say that you felt, uh, you know, through this sort of virtual period, um, kind of formless? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it, um, which I really embraced for the longest time because just being a creative person, I was getting to create so much all the time, learning new things. Mm -hmm. It was really stressful and it was a ton of work. But I was ultimately, I was pretty passionate about it. And so that was driving me. And then people also needed things to do and everything was locked up too. So uh, learning the technology was a great way to try to keep people together, whether that was with um, the music video projects that we did with the music team or um, coffee hour on Sunday morning after the video was released to the public. Um, you know, Bible studies, confirmation class, meetings, all that kind of stuff, education mm -hmm. events. Um, we really threw ourselves into that and, and we learned a lot and we've got a lot of great skills now that we didn't have before. But eventually you kind of get burnt out, you know, if you're just constantly creating. And if you look at any like, um, you know, songwriters or authors or people who are in the creative business, eventually they all go through dry spells. Yeah. Um, sometimes you go through a really productive period and then it just dries up and you need to rest and sort of mm -hmm. get away from it to sort of recharge the batteries. Really been feeling that way sort of of late, but um, being open the past few weeks has sort of uh, been very therapeutic that way. Right. Yeah, you mentioned that 
you felt, you know, these periods of being alone uh, in the basement, sort of creating after a while, start to feel more thankless. Um, maybe because you aren't sharing the fruits of that labor kind of with your community at the same time. And, um, you know, one of the things uh, you, you can go and create many things all you want, but if there's no one to share it with, it, it loses some of its um, potency. Like it's not the reward of that, that, that effort is not the same. Absolutely. Um, and there is something, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I used to run track and field. Um, so I was, uh, you know, grade seven, my name was in the newspaper for winning many races, the 100, 200, and 400 meter race that year. Nice. Uh, and I did well in the next year as well, like in grade eight, but I was only 12, 13 years old at the time. Um, and so that was looking pretty promising. And if I wanted to pursue that, you know, could probably could have gone quite far with it. Um, you know, Canada Games or whatever. I, I think that probably could have happened if I, if I had the passion for it. But I just, the problem with a sport like track and field is it's very solitary. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you win or lose alone. There's no team aspect to it. And I found that to be the part that, um, kept it from being like, for me feeling as passionate about it. You know, I went and played more soccer and basketball and stuff like that instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a team aspect and there's somebody who I find I identify more as an introvert or whatever, but I do just enjoy the, um, the company of, you know, other people, but more like in, in smaller groups generally, like I like this kind of a setting where you can have like a proper conversation. A lot of times you get in like really big group settings. It's another story and you feel a little bit lost in the crowd kind of thing, but, mm-hmm. um, divided attention, I guess. Yeah. And, but yeah, I, I, I get that of, you know, feeling kind of isolated from everything and doing it all by yourself. And after a while it's like, sometimes you need that cause you, you've just had too much of, um, you know, other people and you need to recharge the batteries a different way. But yeah, I think right. that COVID is kind of, really stretched us in one direction. The pendulum swung really far in that one way. So it's nice to see that it's starting to, to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the other things that um, mentioned that reading is that saying like um, two or three are gathered, Jesus is there. Uh, can you talk about that more? I, that really resonated with me. I, Cause it, now I, I, I the counterpoint I want to say to that is, well, does that mean that if you're alone, that Jesus is not there? Or is it like, what is it trying to say? What does what that, that, that mean? Yeah, I think, um, you know, if we think about love God, love your neighbor as yourself, you kind of, in order to do that, you need that other piece. Like you said, like if, um, you know, winning and losing alone or um, not sharing in the labor, I guess. Sharing our life is is what makes many things so fulfilling mm-hmm. um so let's these music videos for example lots of people would send in their videos and i'm looking at lots of different people and lots of people are gathering around a project but at the end of the day it's just me by myself in the mm-hmm. basement putting it all together and so uh, that was really great for a while but then eventually i 
was finding it kind of empty, yeah. a bit of an empty experience. And so um, in the coming back together now um, and sharing it in a church service, for example, where the people who are participating in the video are also in the room, it's just a lot more rewarding. And there's this, I guess, our, our energy has a sort of uh, outlet to pour into, I guess, in some mm -hmm. kind of way. Um, <clears throat> but I think in the context of that quote, Jesus is kind of trying to say, you know, take heart, have courage. Whenever you guys are feeling down, like just remember that I'm there kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, you can get too deep in your own head sometimes. And I, I was finding that was certainly happening with me. Like I was start, starting to create this sort of alternate universe, I guess, that only I lived in. Yeah. And uh, not, not a good feeling, I suppose. Eventually, you need some sort of uh, connection, some connectivity. Um, and the best way to do that is uh, gathering with others. Mm -hmm. So this allows our, it uplifts our spirits, uh, gives our energy sort of a, a destination, if you will. Yep. Rather than just sort of being stymied and not having anywhere to flow into. Kind of forces you to stop thinking about yourself too when you're in community. You know, you start thinking about others, and um, you know it's funny. Uh, a memory uh, on Facebook came up for me. It was just something I wrote about like a year ago, and I don't think when I wrote this a year ago, we the podcast hadn't even started yet. Um, but what it was is. Um, you as a person are the average of the five people you interact with the most. Hmm. Um, and so the idea is, okay, who do you surround yourself with most often? And depending on who those types of people are, that's going to sort of define your reality as, an in, as a person. And you're gonna be very influenced by, by those people. Mm -hmm. um, so you can think of, you know, like who, who am I, you know, um, uh, close to at any given point in my life and that'll change over time, of course. But, um, and one, you know, the, the obvious conclusion that you can draw from that is, well, then surround yourself with, you know, good, charitable, nice, non-toxic people, um, and your life will be better. But if you surround yourself with toxicity, of course, your the, the your average experience is going to deteriorate. Now, but I thought about it, and I'm like, well, actually, you can take this this in a different direction. And you say, well, don't think about it from your own perspective and the people you surround yourself with, but look at it from the perspective that you are inside of one one person's group of five. And so if that person is the average of, you know, the five people they deal with, well, the better things that you do and the more that you improve yourself and create a better environment in the world and give more to the world around you, you are lifting that other person up, whether directly or indirectly through improving that and giving them a better average, you know, <laughs> to work with. So, yeah. um, and I, 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 I do really, like I'm, I'm partial to this idea that, you know, Jesus and God are like this embodiment of like love and community. And like, that's really what they mean is that when 
we find God when we find ourselves connected to other people, you know, in like a loving way. And, um, and when you give of yourself, that's when you feel like at your absolute best, right? And so, right. Um, and you know, some crisis can be happening and that kind of thing. But when you, you give, I, I think it, it does definitely, um, creates just a better environment, you know, around you and, and, and I just really lifts you up. So when you get stuck in those moments of being in the basement all alone, like it can be the opposite, really like detract from that. Yeah. It's like, uh, it sort of stops your energy flow, I guess would be a mm-hmm. sort of corny way to say it, but we all need something that's greater than ourselves to sort of, uh, live into yep. or live up to, or however you want to say that. And Jesus is saying this to the disciples because he's not going to be around for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be a tough road for them. And so, um, you know, don't just hole up and go hide somewhere. Like, stick together kind of mm-hmm. message there. And of course, God, there's nowhere God cannot be. There's nowhere the Holy Spirit cannot find you, I guess, mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense. Uh, but that's sort of a bit more of the context around when he makes a comment like that. Right. But, um, you know, I think COVID has been an epidemic of isolation and loneliness as well. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, the the most resilient among us, I guess we're, we're feeling that somewhere down the yep. road. Sure. And I, and I guess that was just me sort of, uh, trying to confess, you know, what, what was, uh, what I was experiencing. In the hopes that other people feel like, okay, well, now I can s- sort of step into that too and say, mm-hmm. oh, I've been feeling one of the one of the sort of tasks, I guess, of being a, <clears throat> a, a pastor, I guess, is sometimes you have to be the one to go first, to, to be vulnerable first, mm-hmm. to, to say what you're struggling with. So then that creates a whole lot of room for other people to then step into that space you're creating space safe space for people yeah i mean that that is an interesting point because i think it's my opinion um that in many traditional um you know minister pastor priest roles that fallibility isn't put on display in any way Mm -hmm. right because you're kind of like a representative of God. And so you're supposed to be, you know, the, the purest of the pure on earth and to admit that you've got struggles and issues and, and whatnot, um, is, uh, something that, you know, you're, you're, you should probably should put it out in the open It'd be more relatable, um, rather than kind of just being theological thing so I mean I think that's good you know I remember you know as a kid and, and hearing stories like um you know one of the priests of our church had a drinking problem right mm-hmm. you would never know from um uh you know when he was up in, in front at least I could never tell right uh or at least he didn't have a drinking problem Sunday mornings but like that one hour yeah. yeah um who knows maybe he was drinking before the service and was Sort of just in that could have been right right spot at the right time. Yeah. Hey, who knows? And and the thing is, is um, 
it's a shame that in the church community of all communities that you couldn't reveal that of yourself and be welcomed into a non-judgmental space where they would um, be supportive and open to listening. I don't think traditionally that the church has been very good about that. Right. Um, a lot of mask wearing in the church. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Matt, you say mask wearing. Like, Did you wear face masks back then? No. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Take me too, too literally. He's here all week, folks. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, and so you've got to go to a place like an AA or something for that kind of situation rather than feeling like your church community is a place that you can turn. And I feel that there's such a, um, a vacuum in the world right now for those types of communities that people can turn to. And it's a shame, in my opinion, that the church can't, hasn't been that way or isn't seen in that light. Um, where you're a person who's fallible and struggling and has problems and stuff that you couldn't come and, and open up. And so, you know, I mean, I think this something good about this podcast, right? Is you can talk about stuff that we're struggling with and hopefully open those doors and, and let people know these peace Lutheran church and places is one of those spots where, you know, you wouldn't, um, you don't feel judged. And you know, it's interesting again, uh, is after we finished the podcast last week, right? The, the woman outside was talking um, to you, and you know she was uh, she had curiosity about things, but felt like, oh, I'm not um, good enough for the church because I've got you know my problems, and so I'm not clean enough or pure enough to 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 be part of it. Like that's the vibe I got from the sense that she was you know giving off of why she. Um, didn't join it. That, that's a reputation that the church has got to shed if it has it. Yeah, certainly for too long. And, you know, we, um, we've sort of been very judgmental towards each other, I guess. And I'm not always the best for saying what's bothering me. And sometimes I don't even know what's bothering me either. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm some awesome person or whatever, but um, in this case, and, you know, reflecting on Sunday's sermon, uh, I'm, I'm pretty an open book in general. I mean, if something's bothering me, I will say. I'm not afraid to say. But, um, you know, the institution that's been built up around the church, I guess, is very firm, rigid, um, hierarchical, a lot of power structures involved. And, um, you know, Jesus came to tear down a lot of that stuff. And here's a guy who's just you know, leading and vulnerability. I mean, he's got no possessions that we're, we can tell. Mm-hmm. Just going around trying to help people as best he could, trying to preach the word, preach the gospel, let God just come close, you know, doing whatever he could to, to help those around him. Uh, you know, he's eating with the sinners, uh, the religious leader always picking on him, like, why are you doing that? They're always trying to trap him. Um, but, you know, he's going to the places that make people uncomfortable and the gospel calls us into places that makes us uncomfortable. And if you're too comfortable, you're not doing it right, I guess. Well, there's so many situations where, you know, we've talked about this before. There's 
spot where you can do something good uh, for someone, but it kind of puts you in a somewhat in uncomfortable position. Right. You know, and so you have to lean into that a little and be willing to be uncomfortable, but you can probably do great things if you, if you do. Um, you know, we're, we're coming up on, on time, so I think we need to move on to, to the next topic. But before we leave this, I just want to um, point out one last thing because we are a Lutheran church. Uh, so this is 504 years since Martin Luther's 95 theses. Mm -hmm. So do you know what the number one thesis is on that, uh, that list? Uh, it's very wordy, so don't expect me to quote it. Okay. But in general, the 95 theses are statements uh, that he made speaking against the way the church was at that time. Mm -hmm. The number one issue was um, there were people going around, quote unquote, representing the church selling indulgences, which was basically at that time, the church preached that when you died, you went to purgatory, which is sort of this in-between place. You're not in heaven, you're not in hell, and anything could happen when you get there. But if you pay money and buy this piece of paper, you know, your dead dad will go to heaven, or you can buy your own salvation, basically, buy your way to heaven. And he was very pissed off about that, rightfully so, I think. Yeah. Um, and so... Quite a good many of them are about that, um, rejecting this the sale of indulgences. Uh, but very closely tied to that too, then, is um, what we, in fancy church terms, say justification by grace, which means that, well, I guess at that time, it was like, you know, your salvation can be purchased by good deeds or giving money to the church or buying these indulgences. It was all about what you did or didn't do determine whether you'd get into heaven or not. So Luther, in his intense study of scripture, realized that it's not what we do, it's what God does. So we're saved by God's grace, um, essentially. Um, and so those two things, rejecting the sale of uh, indulgences and putting forward this justification by works, are the, sort of the, the meat and potatoes of the Reformation, essentially. Okay. And then later on, um, you know, you get things like, uh, you know, priests should be able to marry and things like that to sort of uh, get away from like sex abuse scandals and things like that. Um, and, you know, we could, we could say more, but those are some of the greatest hits, I guess, okay. of the Reformation. Okay. Uh, education for uh, boys and girls was a big one. The modern day education system is very much linked to the Reformation. So if you like your schools, if you like your uh, your your daughters being educated, you can you can thank Martin Luther, I guess. Right. So this guy up here on our our beer board, right? Martin Luther <laughs> yeah. approved. You know. And of course, Jesus was the first really huge feminist, I guess we could say. Sure. He was always lifting up uh, the people that were lowest on the totem pole in in that society: children, women, mm -hmm. um, you know, beggars, sinners. People who are blind, yep. you know, things like that. Right. Okay, I mean, that's good. It's a good history lesson, I guess, since, you know, five, over 500 years later. So it's, it's um, you know, it's good to see the church is still going, you know, strong. And I hope that we're, 
you know, this idea of reformation is a good one to, to just keep you, um, check yourself. It's that idea that it's, you know, reformed over being reformed is, is important because you, it's not done. And, right. uh, and we get to participate in it. That's the important thing because yeah. for centuries, the church was something that was fed to you in yeah. a certain package. And there's only one way to do it, and you had to do it their way, and that was it. Or you paid the price. Um, but this allows each of us in every successive generation to, um, yeah, ju just participate in the faith process, I guess. Um, you know, we've got, we make observations, we, we see things, we have preferences, we have opinions. Let's bring that all together and talk about it as a community and, and let that help us move forward. So, oh, sorry, one last thing. I'd yeah. be remiss in saying he also translated the Bible into the common language so that regular Joe Schmoes like us could actually read this thing. Oh, that's a big deal. Yeah. And the process of learning to read the Bible is really the big thrust behind the education that, that he was on about, but now it's led to all these other things mm -hmm. centuries later. But it, till then, it was the services were in Latin, so all the people would come in. Somebody speaking a foreign language got their back to you half the time. They're having a meal up there on their own, and you're just like, you know, just sitting there basically. Mm -hmm. So imagine we take it for granted now that we can actually crack this book open and see what it says. Sadly, on the other hand, now that we've had this luxury, most people don't really take advantage of it. We talked about. Martin Luther, 504 years. We got to move on to the next next section of our show, though. And for this, it's of course it's spiritual news. So in the news, again, last week we had technical difficulties, and this whole section of the the, the talk we lost. Um, All you podcasters out there, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. This happened to YouTube, I'm sure. Yeah. So um, that's unfortunate, but we're going to have a second try at this topic. Uh, maybe this little changes from what we discussed before, but... It's even more appropriate now. It, all right, well, tell me why. What, so what are we talking about? Why is that a, why is it more apropos? So we were talking about vaccination mandates. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we saw like the Leafs and the Raptors and the Blue Jays, they were having like tens of thousands of people in their stadiums and, yep. you know, our church, little church on the corner was closed for... A really long time and we're like well you know we got to start catching up here it seemed like they were going kind of um all of a sudden it seemed like everything was opening up rather quickly almost too, too fast too soon but the difference there was they could open up because they required proof of vaccination mm -hmm. and there's been a lot of sort of controversy over that particularly down in the states but even here in canada too uh, a lot of people were citing religious purposes, why they couldn't um, get a vaccine, which by and large is mostly BS. Very, very rare instance would you find something like that. But our church now, just in this past week, our council voted to open up our church to full capacity, providing uh, people show proof of vaccine. Um, we didn't have to do that. Per se, we could have kept going on the way we were, but uh, we felt very strongly that uh, it was the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. This is a way to protect the person beside you by making sure you get that. 
of course, not everyone is physically able to do that. And, you know, there's some exemptions in place for that. But uh, by and large, most people should be able to get on board uh, with a policy like that. Mm -hmm. Well, and you also offer the live stream option as well. So there's still other ways that people can. Right. If you uh, aren't comfortable coming out for whatever reason, you can still participate um, online at the same time that we're gathered. Yeah. Well, you know, we, you know, our last discussion we had, well, let's revisit this, but, you know, we talked about this idea of, um, uh, you know, religious exemptions. So in the Lutheran religion, is there any evidence or anything that anyone said about that in particular in the past? Yeah, everything points to get the gosh darn vaccine people. Okay, why do you say that? Um, so Martin Luther was around during the, the Black Plague in Europe, which as everyone knows, decimated like half the population. Um, and he's got a, I don't have it uh, written here, but I'll just paraphrase, but basically he's got a sort of tract that speaks on this and it's basically, um, you know, I don't go out unless I have to go out. I don't go where people are unless I have to. Um, not not for fear of myself, but for fear that I might infect them with something and then could never forgive myself or something like that. Um, you know, I take medicine when I need to take medicine. I administer medicine when I need to administer medicine. So it's, it's all about this, you know, the greater good is more important than my personal self-interest. Uh, but my big question to anti-vaxxers and uh, what have you is like, what do you what do you get out of this? What do you what's your objective? What's your goal? What what makes you want to be so against it? You know what what do you get? And who does that serve? Is it serving your own selfishness? I would argue generally it is. So what what we've seen. Well. So, I'll play, you know, devil's advocate here. Um, Someone's got it. Yeah, so just, you know, take the other side. So, um, it's, you know, I think with a lot of people, what they're on discomfort with uh, vaccine mandates. I actually find the vaccine mandates kind of uncomfortable myself. Now, I, I understand they're why they exist and they do make me feel safer like I, I i was at a leafs game recently so my work gave me a ticket to go and uh that was a weird experience like that was the first time i went to downtown toronto in a year and a half right and um uh there's just so many people there and it's like what is this world that i've come back to mm -hmm. uh but because of, you know, vaccine, and you're like, oh, I can kind of get behind this, you know, whereas before it would have, you know, felt very different. Um, well, you wouldn't have been able to go to the game had there not been a mandate in place. Well, exactly. But um, that said, there is like an authority thing happening here. I think some people have this discomfort with um, uh, authority in general. I would say that a lot of people who have 
um, this skeptic, like maybe unreasonable levels of skepticism of authority have probably experienced some level of like abuse or something like that in their past life from a, a, a figure who was like an authority figure who should have been a trusted figure in their life who wasn't that's and fair. betrayed them. Generally, and, that's a personal relationship though. Yeah, probably is. But it, it extends to all authority figures. Sure. Um, but even then, you know, we're saying, okay, people who are vaccinated can do X and people who are unvaccinated cannot. And if you replace vaccination with people of one particular religious affiliation can do X and people who are not can do, cannot partake in that same thing, or people of a certain skin color can't, um, you know, ride at the front of the bus or whatever, like, you know, people would have made justifications for why that was okay at the time. Sure. So now the circumstances here are very different. Right. You know, it is a public health crisis and public health crisis. Exactly. It's yeah. not a, it's not a personal individual freedom crisis. Yes. So I like, I, I agree with that. Like I get it. Right. And I think it, it makes sense. Now we can't know that the vaccines are totally safe because we only have a short sample period, right? Maybe they become some an issue. 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road or who knows, right? Um, well, but at least we all died together. <laughs> yeah. And well, the, the thing is, is um, you could make that argument about a lot of stuff though, right? That sure, it might have some adverse effect at some point in time, uh, but it has more measurable immediate benefits right now. So, and it's been intensely studied by, you know, arguably the, the world's best scientists have all sort of come together on this. And, and I don't know about you, but when I, I couldn't go to school at all as a kid until I had this shot and that shot and this shot and that yeah. shot. So this to me is just like the next in the list of, of the vaccines that we've all already had to take. You can't, couldn't, can't send your kids to school if they hadn't had you know, measles and smallpox and yep. all those shots. Yeah, and you know, I think the difference between that and this is it, since the... We weren't around when those were serious issues? Partly, yes. There's a generational memory that's lost over time, right? So, I mean, how many of the people who are anti-vax actually went through the polio epidemic or pandemic, you know, back in the 50s, right? <laughs> Right. Um, very few. So, and the people who did live through that period of time, um, one are probably more likely to get vaccinated or they're in, in more vulnerable health status now. And so they feel more of a need to anyway. But, um, I think that in, uh, the 2008 financial crisis, uh, is still an issue that the world hasn't really completely come to terms with. The reason I say that is what that crisis did is it created a um, very reasonable 
in some circumstances, skepticism of experts. So there is a lot of, you know, experts who, um, you know, said things like houses can never fall in value and all, all this kind of stuff, right? And it led to a huge bubble that burst and so many people's life savings were completely lost. And it seems like there, since that period of time, and it could be correlated to the rise of social media and so it could be coincidental. Maybe it has nothing to do with the financial crisis and it's purely that there's, there's all these new, you know, new, a new school of YouTube and social media experts saying whatever nonsense on there and, and somehow being treated as equally valid as someone who has a PhD in, in um, you know, biochemistry or something like that. But you can't even say anymore that, oh, well, all of the leading scientific experts were at the table to develop this vaccine and um, can you know, assure that it's safe. You say, well, it doesn't matter what anybody's background is, how much schooling they've done and everything. It's all useless. It means nothing. It's like this weird post-truth world. And, yeah, post-truth. Uh, and so... I think you're right in that it's a movement that's sort of risen over time. And maybe that was a touchstone moment for that kind of thinking. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of it is uh, just sort of discontent with one's own self in some kind of way. And you need an outlet to express your frustration. And it's easy to attack something that's so far away from you. Yeah. Um, maybe people feel safe in that. But in doing so, you're undermining the people next to you in some kind of way. You're putting your own sort of selfishness ahead of the greater good in some kind of way. And well, yeah, I don't trust Wall Street any more than I did, you know, 2007. I mean, we all know those guys are sharks. They're all out for themselves. They're going to steal everything one day. They're going to wait till uh, value valuation goes up across the board. Then they're just going to swoop all the chips and everyone else is screwed. So yeah. Absolutely, some distrust of experts there. Um, but this is as a, as a guy who works in banking, I'm feeling a little attacked right now. <laughs> well, what happened in the states? Is that not sort of what happened? No, I did, I, I, did, I, did I, the, the very few elite people just sort of take everything, and everybody else got. Well, yeah, there's definitely a, a lack of accountability for for what happened. I mean, like I, I, I to let me clarify too. Our banking industry is the envy of the world here in Canada. It's a different scenario, but the U.S. drives the world economy, basically. Mm -hmm. What they did down there was just so flagrant. We were insulated from a lot of the worst of it because yeah. we had a solid system here in Canada. So I didn't mean to make I'm just I'm messy with you. Must be the Chimay talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're 9% deep, right? You gotta make you feel a little uncomfortable. No, um, like you know, when these things like Canada is not immune from bad behavior in these spaces, too. Like, I, I think that Canada generally, as a country, is um, uh, more conservative in the, the right kind of ways, the, the, you know, the small c conservatism of just like, um, not going out trying to like be crazy aggressive and screw everything over, you know, for your own good. I think we, we do think about one another a lot more. And 
as much as there may be people in Canada who are anti-vax or not willing to get vaccinated, you can see all these people who are, you know, putting on leave now in, in Canada because they're not um, complying with vaccine some, mandates, right? Some backtracking on that this week. There is, yeah, and that's kind of interesting too. Um, but in general, I think Canada is still like you know one of the top countries in this one, which is I think is good. And, and you know, you take the banking example, you know, as well. And you know, we're one of the leaders in, in terms of you know strong, safe, you know, financial institutions. We've better respect for regulation and whatnot. It doesn't mean that we're immune to it. I mean, there's been situations of like sales practices and stuff that have been pretty predatory. And absolutely wreck and how do you explain record profits during COVID when everybody else was hit so hard? Well, there's it's complicated. There's lots <laughs> going on to that. Um you know, in, in terms they, of just, they know how to cross the T's and dot the I's. That's yeah, that's sure how they, do. they know how to make sure that they're covered yeah. in every scenario. Um, whereas we were just willing to just go along with things and well, and that well, happens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think the thing that was frustrating in any place that, you know, say where you work, right, is when you see some of that, the bad actors and that stuff happening, you're like, seriously, like, come on. Because if you're, if you're believe that you work in, in this type of institution and then you have stuff happening and you're like, wait, what kind of institution do I work in? You're allowing this kind of garbage to go on here? I'm doing all this hard work over here, and then these people are doing this crap over here. Um, that can be really frustrating, you know, as somebody. And, um, you know, uh, as somebody who works in the financial, you know, industry in Canada, like I'm, I'm you know, proud of the company that I work for. And, um, you know, I think on, by and large, we do a lot of great things and um, sometimes get a bad reputation, but. Uh, in general, you know, you look at where we're at in the world and stuff, and where Canada is with a lot of things in the world. Like it, it's all consistent, I guess, with the Canadian model. Um, but we're kind of getting off topic yeah, but, here, but right, let's bring it back to this vaccine, yeah. and then we can move on here. But yeah. um, I was, I've always been someone who's been skeptical of the flu shot, for example. Yeah. They never know which strain it's going to be. It's like only fifty percent. Like it's a crapshoot, basically. And I haven't gotten that shot. When it first came out, I got it once, and then I got sick. And then a couple of years ago, my wife really wanted to get it, so we got it again, and guess what? We got sick. So I have no faith in the flu shot. Mm -hmm. But this COVID shot is like over 90%. Mm -hmm. And I do have faith in that. So I'm, I'm not anti-vaxxer, but um, I was very against the flu shot. Still am. I still don't believe in the flu shot. States are different too, right? You know, the flu um, for yourself at your age and stuff, you know, you're going to feel crummy for a few days versus how far down the, that hole, you know, you could go with COVID, right? So um, it's a little different there. I mean, although, mind you, you know, as you, if, if the flu shot helps protect other people around you, I guess there's some some value to it uh but they can't even say that with any kind of confidence yeah um 
you know, healthcare workers have to take the flu shot. How come they're not uh, locking up the job over that when they know that it's not as efficacious as this COVID shot appears to be? That's when the politics gets involved, I guess, and people do weird things when, when politics is involved. Yeah, you know, and I think it, it, some of it is just fear of it, the novelty of it, um, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, you know, a shorter term than, than you know, the typically that process would uh, allow for. Sometimes they say... You know, it could take up to 10 years to produce a vaccine. But thanks to some some uh, Canadian technology, I guess, even I heard that on Quirks and Quarks, there was some Canadian technology that allowed them to isolate. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I'm not a scientist, I don't know, but they're able to target it specifically enough that they could guarantee this really high percentage of effectiveness. Well, I think that there was a lot of research post-SARS that happened that the foundational work towards the mRNA vaccine technology and so that this was all um, long in the making and that is just you know it was done rapidly mainly because it was just you know you isolated the information of the virus and then figured out how to calibrate a vaccine and target it but the technology behind it is not um, it was new to us it, yeah. at the time because all of a sudden one day the world shut down. Yep. And they don't shut the world down over the flu. It was, it was one of the things that bothered me when I hear people saying, oh, yeah, it's just the flu. Yeah. Well, people aren't dying like this in the millions because of the average flu. Yeah, it's all just a government conspiracy <laughs> covering up. It's not actually real, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? To get every government in the world to agree on something is very unlikely. Oh, I, I, I look at how they're doing handling climate change. Yeah, to think it's some big, you know, uh, Illuminati thing or whatever, <laughs> you know, that everyone's out oh. to get us. Some people just go through their life, and it's really sad, but they go through their life thinking everybody's out to get them. Yeah, and, and well, like this and now they have social media. Yeah, so like this comes back to what I said, like about um, you know people have probably experienced some kind of um, betrayal of from some authority figure at some point in their life that's caused them to believe that kind of a thing where everybody's out to get them because they struggle to trust, right? Um, We're talking about people that went to a hospital protest, protesting nurses and doctors, the ones who were actually saving their ass in the end, pardon my language. But like, how how do you get out of bed and do something like that? Uh, yeah, just a certain like level of just cynicism, I guess, the world where and they know. want to say, "Oh, it's my choice." Well, you do have a choice. You can stay home and not go to the Leaf game. Mm-hmm. You can stay home, not go to church. You can stay home, not go to the restaurant. Well, here's a here is um uh something that I I thought about I'm making a meme because you know, like memes are these types of things that like. They boil everything down to something that's oversimplified. It's the new scripture. I I can't stand them because they drive me crazy. Like political memes are the worst. Yeah. But, you know, if you want to play into that game, so this idea that I had on this topic, when you talk about protesting in front of hospitals, you say, okay, you can frame this issue two ways, and they're both right. Um, So you have a picture of, um, 
people in their like the flower children of the 60s, you know, like hippies and 70s, I guess, protesting Vietnam and they're putting flowers and like soldiers' rifles and stuff. Um, and uh, what you can say is if, um, and you know, so the soldiers are like your, your frontline um, workers, right? just like healthcare workers. And you would say in the meme, you'd have a picture of that, then you'd have a picture of people um, protesting in front of the hospital. And you say, well, if you're not okay with this, and the, the people putting flowers and like the guys are protesting right in front of your, your, your soldiers, yeah. then why are you okay with this, right? Of people protesting in front of a hospital. It's what they right. call a, a false dichotomy. So, yeah, but classic rhetorical device. Yeah. So um, you could put you could frame it that way, but you can frame it the, the flip side, and, and you can say, because um, that's that's the way of sort of attacking the the more right wing view, right? Is to put the meme out in that structure. Right. But if you want to attack it the other way, you can you could say, um, if you're okay with this and protesting soldiers then you need to be okay with this and protesting healthcare workers, right, from the right. hospital. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so you're like, well, what's right and what's wrong here? Uh, but then the problem is you take it in meme form and you boil a very complex issue down into some simple sound bite and make it seem like, yeah, right? You know, everyone's <laughs> like kind of this yeah. rah-rahs about it and it's like, ugh, yeah. this, is, this isn't right. And the other, the other funny thing about this is like, uh, you know, the do your own research crowd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but listening to Joe Rogan is not doing research on COVID vaccines. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's... As someone who has done a lot of research in, you know, the humanities, not in science, uh, you know, they are, they're very strict about, you know, what sources are you using? You can't use Wikipedia, for example, as a source because anybody can go in there and change what's on there. It's yep. not a bona fide peer-reviewed mm -hmm. source. Uh, you know, you got the Kyrie Irvings of the word world saying they're doing their own research. Are they testing COVID in labs and seeing behavior, you know, analyzing behavior against this vaccine and that yeah. and the other thing? No, they're not doing that. They're just all like talking in a circle, sharing memes. Yeah, it's uh, all these big, crazy yeah. conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's a big confirmation. Man, this is That's a good beer. It is, it is <laughs> a good one. Yeah, I know. We've, we've been going on for like a, my my camera's an hour and ten minutes now. So we're we got to trim this. We got to wrap this up. Yeah, so, let's do it. Uh, well, listen. All right, Let, let's. It's a politically charged uh, topic, but we got to rate the beers now. We're at the end of our show. It's time to rate the beers. So, Ronnie, you're first. Okay. What are we rating the Chimay Blue? So, holding this up in the light, you get a better sense of the color. It's a, I'd say that's like a deep amber, almost a brown. I guess it was more brown when, the, when it was fuller. Yeah. Uh, it's just a hair over the darkness that I ideally like. I'm about, yeah. I'm about a six on the... I'm, I'm like a copper guy. Okay. That's yeah. my sweet spot. Yeah. Still, very delicious, especially for a 9%. Mm-hmm. It doesn't taste like that, although I'm definitely feeling it. Um, I'm gonna go with an eight point one. Eight point one. All right, we're going. We're going the point one decimal points here. All right. I did eight point five on the 
So Ronnie needs to go for eight. 8.1, okay. Um, I, I like your opinion and I'm gonna start calling you Copper now, I think, so <laughs> that's a good nickname. Great shirt here. Yeah, exactly, all right, Copper. So you got, uh, and I mean that as in the, the color, not as in right, you're right. like a, a policeman or something. I'm the uh, anti-vax police. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> okay. Um, I think that this, compared to the Rochefort, is a more drinkable, uh, beer. It went down smoother than that one. I found that the Rochefort 8 was a little bit more harsh. Um, I couldn't picture myself having more than one in a, in a sitting necessarily. This I could. That's uh, generally true these days now though because I'm getting old. Yeah. But this I, I feel is a little bit more drinkable. Um, you could have two of these, you think? I, I would when I stood up, I noticed that I had two of them, but yeah. it feels like you could. Like if I was at a restaurant and somebody would go, oh, another one, I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that because it's more drinkable, that generally means it's better. Like I would rate it higher. Um, and color, dark, you know, like I, I just, I don't know. I, all I can say is I just enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the drink. It wasn't as, Challenging flavor-wise, probably not. A little bit more tame than, than the Road for too. So maybe slightly less interesting, but I think the drinkability factor offsets that. But you know, if I have to, uh, you know, judge it, I'm probably going to put it just slightly ahead of where I, I put that Rochefort, which means I'm probably like an 8.1 as well, because <laughs> I put an 8 from the Rochefort. So I, I gotta go to the same place. So um, yeah, let's, let's let's go with these point decimal spots and, and have the precedent there. All right, Martin Luther. So we're, we're coming in uh, very close here. We're both 8.1s. Listen, I, I couldn't find... Somebody stole my other labels too, so these are all just you know, too big here, but we'll, uh, we'll throw these in. Could put just the date and Ronnie on that one because we graded it the same. You know, I could have done that, but I already I already wrote it down. <laughs> so um, right. we can, uh, oh, here we go. Look at this. <laughs> let's just do this. Ronnie Schmigley, point one. All right, so these are nearly Martin Luther approved. I don't know what's going to get the 10. You know, we'll, we'll see if one day one happens, but... Uh, we got a lot of Trappist beers to get through first. We have our call to action. So I'll, I'll talk about this part and then I'm gonna get you to do a closing prayer here. But call to action, of course, is, you know, Scribbly Describe is a podcast for Peace Lutheran Church. And we started this podcast because uh, we're looking to connect with um, a broader, community. You know, I mean, COVID really um, been a driving force in this, you know, as the church is shut down. Now the church is opening again, but regardless of, you know, how that's happening, I think there's still a need to connect with people in whatever way is going to work best for them. And this is a medium I think it's going to connect a lot more, you know, especially with the, you know, a younger audience and who maybe just aren't into the, the, the format of the, the traditional church service or whatever it is, right? And so we're trying to, to, to reach a broader audience. But of course, um, you know, we need to support the church and it's, you know, the sustainability and ongoing, you know, um, 
you know, the, uh, the church is keeping its doors open, right? So, you know, this part of this is, you know, we're looking, if, if you're able, is to support Scribbler to Scribe. You know, if you can make a donation to what we're doing, you know, that would be really appreciated. Um, we're going to put details um, in the description to the video and to the, the podcast um, online, and you'll be able to, uh, to donate to the church any amount. Uh, makes a huge difference to, to what we're trying to do and we really want to you know help support our efforts um, to support the community not just here in Pickering but just you know worldwide so and, and if you're still listening to this then definitely yeah you're getting if you're here after an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes you know uh there's you're, no excuse you're, you're gonna that. donate yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> well, i've come this far i might as well give them some money Right. Um, Unless you're unable to, and that's okay. No, that's not the exactly. But if you're able to, come on, guys. Yeah, exactly. So, uh... well, that was delightfully mediocre. Eh, at least the beer was good. For more Dave and Ronnie, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your content. And if you made it this far, you're morally obligated to donate to Peace Lutheran Church at the link in the description. Pastor Ronnie Smith, I'm DW. Peace be with you.